0: shout out to melissa our newest patreon follower if you want to sign up for the patreon you can do so by heading to patreon.com slash sex news with ray yeah. good afternoon to all of my fuck demons i'm your queen and host and welcome to sex news with ray once again feel free to keep us in business by subscribing to our patreon at patreon.com slash sex news ray and tell all your friends about us I'm here with Severin, who is a multimedia and visual artist, a tattoo artist, piercer, and makeup artist, and mental health advocate. Severin, say hello.
1: Hello. How's it going?
0: It's going pretty good. Where are you? Where are you today? What country?
1: So right now I am currently living in Northern Ireland, so about 45 minutes outside of Belfast. Uh, so technically it's the UK because it's the uh, you know the British uh, province, but on the island of Ireland. And it's a lovely, lovely day here. Not too much sun, but no rain. So that's nice. That's really cool. I love Ireland,
0: but I think Northern Ireland is different from other Ireland.
1: Am I correct? Yes, that's correct. So a lot of people who are outside of the, this country, they wouldn't really know the difference, but it's kind of like the difference between the States and Canada. Um, very, very small border. Uh, they don't even have a physical border here. It's literally just the uh, the lines on the road change colors and that's how you know you've crossed over the border. Um, but the south is Ireland, uh, the Republic of Ireland. And then this is just a small province of the UK, um, but it is not very large. It's very little population. Uh, I think there's just more more cows and sheep than there are people. So uh, yes, but it is the UK and it is lovely, but um, very different histories. A lot of a lot of differences in uh, how people like to identify as well. So do not call a Northern Irish person an Irish person. Let's just say that.
0: Yeah. Good to know. I definitely have. I might know a lot about sex, but geography is one of my biggest weak points. So mm-hmm. thank you for telling me all of that. The article that we're going to talk about today is called The Transgender Issue by Sean Fei. Review, A Cry for Compassion. It's from The Guardian in September 19th, 2021. And it's it's basically a book review mixed with a little bit of uh, sassy anger. So it opens uh-huh. with Felix Moore, a trans person, stating that they have no desire to read the latest trans book or watch the latest TV show with a trans character in it. And says, it's the opposite of relaxing to see the facts of my life continually presented back to me. At best, it is nothing I didn't know already. At worst, it is harmfully distorted. Felix Moore then discusses how every trans person needs to be an expert in trans issues. And there's an expectation that you'd be ready and willing at any time to hold your ground on any element of the transgender issue anyone might decide to quiz you about. The author of this book that's being reviewed, apparently, gives gives really excellent examples for people who expect trans people to have all the answers. So they give examples of like, you know, the bathroom argument and this and that. And so one example is, if being trans is not a mental illness, why does the NHS provide treatment for it? And then the author parallels this to pregnancy because pregnancy is not an illness, but you're going to need medical intervention at some point. You're going to need a doctor at some point to help with that process. In general, the article is very positive about this book, while also clearly explaining why it's frustrating to be part of any minority group. Any initial thoughts on that?
1: Well, I actually agree on basically every front. One of the things that um, I had been fighting for for a long time is my trans friends. So I hadn't really come out as non-binary until about four years ago, even though from a very early age, I understood that I didn't really fit into either of the categories that society had presented to me. So um, prior to that, I was just very loving and supportive of any of my, you know, come out as trans. And I always wanted to make sure that whenever... Somebody who was going to come up to me and ask questions, but I had as many positive answers for them to help you know demystify the idea that people were going to have to you know question their existence and everything else. So um, when I see articles like this, I agree with them because for the most part, any kind of material source that you find on social media or in movies, television, they're only really talking about trauma that trans people typically have to face which is the kind of thing that he was mentioning. These are things that I already know in and out. And there's nothing that I've never learned before or things I haven't had to face myself. So when I see these kinds of discourses happening, I'm really happy about it because typically it's getting out to more people and it's helping educate more and more people who may have never really had to, you know, think about it because they're very privileged in that way. And they've never had to, you know, had their own existence questioned before. So um, when I see these kinds of things, kind of although it's very frustrating because you know that somebody had to put out a lot of emotional labor in order for that to actually come out um, I'm just very happy that more people are discussing it
0: I know that the conversation on trans rights I mean it's frequently very polarized but I feel like there's a lot more awareness of of trans people at this time and one thing that I want my listeners to know as well is there's frequently this uh, oh What's that? Sorry,
1: there's a, there is somewhere uh, nearby, not even close to the studio. Uh, there's a motorcycle. So
0: okay, there's so there's there. just someone who really feels the need to uh, be loud. Yeah. Okay, um, they're, they're away now. Yeah. Yeah, I know a lot of people go, well, how come there's more trans people now? Is it that people hear about trans people and now they think they're trans, but they're not? It's kind of like gay people, it's like the same thing. We're like, if you're allowed to be gay, the numbers haven't changed. People just come out of the closet about it. And so the number, uh, since living out as a trans person has become more socially accepted, the number of people coming out as and portion of the population has actually stabilized rather than increased slowly over time.
1: Also, a good thing to mention is that less of them are committing suicide. Yeah. Um, so now it's not it's not easy to live as a trans person that's out except that now that there's at least communities that they can you know go to and that they can spend time with people who are accepting and loving and caring of them um, whereas before if they were in the closet yes they n- nobody knew of their existence but also most of them had to suffer through like excruciating social torture and uh, a lot of them ended up killing themselves so now the suicide rate although is extremely high Um, it is, it is slowly going down, which is nice. So, um, not only are we coming out in droves, uh, less of us are killing ourselves. So that's That's also good.
0: So nice to hear. (laughs) So positive.
1: Yeah. So cheerful.
0: Um, well, you also mentioned that you're non-binary and I know that the conversation around trans in general, like people in general understand the binary, So while they might not want, you know, while some people might, you know, not find it socially acceptable to uh, be trans and they can have their opinions, whatever, just because you don't want it to happen doesn't mean it doesn't exist. But I find there's a lot more confusion around what it
1: means to be non-binary. So can you tell us what it means to you? Yeah, so um, I think it is different for everybody because their own gender expression is always going to be very unique, which I love because we are rejecting the social constructs especially in Western culture, the social constructs for male and female are extremely rigid. And over the last like, I don't know, 30 or so years, more and more people are starting to question why those are so rigid and why men have to do this and why women have to do that in order to just be accepted for their own gender. But um, when we understand that we do not belong in a binary, we get to reject our social constructs that are harmful to us. So, um, men having to be masculine and muscular and mean and aggressive that that's very harmful um so a lot of the um assigned male at birth non-binaries i've met um i find that it's a lot harder for them to be accepted even in their own communities because there's still so much um negative uh, negative discourse surrounding men and um i guess toxic masculinity but what's nice is that more and, more and more people are starting to find a way to express themselves that is outside of those um, those binaries of social constructs for gender and how gender should really be expressed. So for me, I guess as a younger woman or like a girl, you're like, oh, you're a tomboy. So there's kind of like a, a small little area of social acceptance for a girl to want to be more masculine or who liked sports. So there wasn't so much, um, bullying surrounding that, but even, even with that small, um, area of uh, acceptance for tomboys, I still didn't feel like a girl. I didn't feel like a, a guy. So I, one of my earliest memories of questioning gender, I was about six years old and I'd come back from school one day and I guess I had experienced like, oh, girls on one side of the room and boys on the other side of the room or something of the sort. And I actually didn't feel like I belonged on either of those sides. And I came home and I asked my mom, um, mommy, there's there's boys and then there's girls. And then what else is there? Because it, to me, it just seemed like naturally there had to be another category because I didn't fit into either of those. And she said, no, sorry. There's, there's just, they're just boys and girls. And she came from a very, you know, like strict religious background, not religious herself, but that's all she knew. And there was no vocabulary for it. There was no language to describe that in 1995. I already knew from a very early age that I didn't really enjoy being stuck into a a category. So later on in my life, I just knew I was queer. There There was just something about me that didn't really fit into those areas. And it was so wonderful when I finally started seeing other people discussing their gender expression and their gender identity, because I realized that, wow, there's actually a whole entire group of people who felt very similarly in my life. So binary to me is just so, it's so rigid and limiting. Yeah. and we should be looking at ourselves as beings that are allowed to express in whatever way makes us most happy and i think that the uh, the binary that especially the western world has created is extremely harmful and it doesn't allow people to express themselves in a way that is is beneficial to our creativity and to our well-being so i don't really know how else other people might describe it but for me um it's just kind of breaking away from what society has been like you know telling me and scolding me for not doing yeah. So, it.
0: It's so interesting. So I, I'm i very clearly on the girl side of the binary. Uh, You know, yeah. even as a kid, I actually never questioned, never had any, I always, but I hated sexism. Like as a young yeah. girl, I always, I knew it was there and it was even imposed by other girls. And my, yeah. one of my earliest memories of being, of, of gender being something that was imposed on all of yeah. us was, uh, who's your favorite Power Ranger? Well, the pink one. It has to be. Mine wasn't. I wanted... My favorite ranger was the yellow one because she was a girl, but she wasn't pink. Because I hated that just because I'm a girl, I have to like the pink one. You know, like, why should I like pink? And just being really frustrated by all this. But also at the same time, very much much clearly identifying with my gender and other people of my gender. Cause I was like, Oh, I can't like the red ranger the most. He's a boy. I don't identify with him. And then Mm -hmm. getting older and hearing all of these studies about how, well, we only read books with men as the main character because women can identify with any gender, but men can only identify with the male gender, which is Mm -hmm. such a bullshit thing to say. It's like, you have to create empathy in people. The reason we can identify with the male gender is because you literally only let us read one kind of story in school. So we kind of have to, but I'm still yeah. picking the Yellow Ranger. I'm still trying to find, I'm still looking for the only female character in the book and seeing if I, like, I would hate it when the only female character was this horrible person because I had no other role models in the story as a kid. That's that's always how I felt. So I say this as someone where people might say, well, why not just identify as like a butch woman? Or, or why don't you just still identify as a tomboy? And the answer for me is, I have always identified as a woman. I've never questioned. And I reject the binary while still identifying as a woman. And there is this whole group of people who have never felt like that was their answer.
1: Yeah. And I I find that as a kid, not really having a non-binary person or somebody that rejected the binary was very harmful because it caused a lot of confusion. It, it didn't allow me to explore anything beyond what was available to me. And I think one of the first things as a kid where I'm like, oh my God, there's this person who's really famous and everybody knows her. And she's like me. She likes wearing her hair up in a bun and she wears her Adidas uh, tearaways. And it was Sporty Spice. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm Sporty Spice. And all these other girls are like Baby Spice or Scary Spice. But right. I finally had somebody that didn't like Wearing like super cutesy, like girly pom poms and pink and things like that. So now that I get to see media being created for younger people that allows for an, like, a larger extension of um, expression of self and gender expression, uh, it just it, it really warms my heart because now there's children who don't have to be so confused by not having somebody to look up like them or lo- yeah. look up who, who are like them.
0: I just, once again, remembered being in... You just made me remember. Along with the Power Rangers debate was the only Spice that you were allowed to be was Baby Spice. Like that was the only acceptable one to have as your favorite Spice Girl in my school. My grade was like 30, 60 people. I went to a private Jewish day school. So like they're... Yeah, but now I'm thinking about how the... Because Spice Girls were manufactured. They knew what they were doing. They gave one role, role model for every type of kid out there. And I... But I do think it's fascinating how you look at baby Spice and you look at little girls. And even then we're being taught that to be a baby and to be babied is the ideal for women.
1: Subtle anyway. and soft and unimposing and yeah. really like non-confrontational and very quiet. Yeah. yeah. So when I saw somebody who was like Sporty Spice, who was allowed to be loud and boisterous and play sports and not have to wear skirts and things like yeah. I absolutely hated being dressed up into girly things like my least favorite clothes were my Sunday clothes or my, my parents would put on like a Sunday dress and we had to go out with my other family to church and and stuff like that where I just felt so awkward and I felt I felt so exposed and gross in girly clothes and I was so angry that they wouldn't let me dress like they would dress my little brother like, yeah. what, what is it Like why why don't I have a choice in the matter? So, um, sexism, yes, major thing been dealing with that forever because I am very femme uh presenting and as a younger child, like I didn't know there was another option. So um I was always just treated like a little girl. So that was one of the things that I hated the most is not really having choice and always being having something imposed upon me. And gender was the other thing. And I think the harmful thing was that I didn't know that, that was another imposition upon my life that was causing me harm was that I didn't have a choice in in how I could dress or how I could express myself or what I should be drawing. Like I'm an artist. I've been an artist since I could pick up a pencil. And when I was drawing dinosaurs, I was like, oh, like, why don't you draw like princesses in castles? I'm like, I'm going to draw the dragon because it's way cooler and has fucking teeth. So um, here you go. So really, like even even my daily activities didn't reflect upon what uh, society was trying to impose on me. And people either thought it was really cool or weird that I didn't like playing with Barbies. I even remember in grade two, I was about seven or eight, um, you would invite all your friends from school, even people you didn't really know all that well. And there was this girl, really sweet girl. I remember her name. Her name was Roxanne. Her and her mom had come over to my birthday, and she was a new kid and she didn't really know me. But she gave me a Barbie for my birthday. And as a seven or eight year old, you don't know how to be gentle with your words. I'm like, oh, thank you. And I gave it to my sister in front of everybody because my sister loved Barbies and I hated them. So um, there's there's that aspect too. I'm like, this, I, I immediately innately. Rejected these kinds of toys not because I was taught that those are for girls, but it's just because it didn't interest me whatsoever. Yeah, and those things happen from such an early age, and uh, a lot of people, especially from very religious backgrounds, they try to reject that immediately. They try to get their child to go back on those kinds of things and to only accept what is uh, gender acceptable to them, and Mm -hmm. it it causes a lot more confusion for the child than than clarification. You know, I have
0: two questions for you and the yes. first one is i'm like in my head like trying to remember both of them the first one is so you said you went to church a lot as a kid did yeah. you find that were you didn't grow up in northern ireland correct you grew up in northern no ireland. i
1: grew up, i grew up in uh, burlington ontario so it's about like an hour and a half out of toronto um, and i went to a uh, french school Uh, But it was more of a private school because it was a French Catholic school. And uh, although both my parents were raised in Catholic environments, my mom Dutch Catholic, my father French Catholic, uh, neither of them needed religion to live. They were both very liberal people and they just did it out of tradition more so. Um, Mm -hmm. But as a kid, because of their parents wanting to, I was baptized in a Catholic church. I had my communion and I had my christening and all that other stuff. Um, but I would go to church and I really, I hated it because um, not only were gender roles extremely uh, pr- pressured upon people there, like how women have to be very good wives and be accepting of their husbands and all these other things of being very dainty and quiet and all these, um, well, uh, very just destructive forms of, of control and oppression. Uh, but yeah, I really hated it. I hated everything to do with going to church didn't really un- understand why as a kid, I hated church. But yeah. uh, I also, I also suffer from uh, severe ADHD. So you can imagine a small little kid who's already, um, bouncing around trying to get back into drawing at home or eating. A little femme child being yeah. told,
0: yeah, who should be sitting still and not bouncing around.
1: Yeah. And who should be quiet and who shouldn't be like trying to like tear off her dress. Um, sitting at home or sitting at the church like just waiting until the Eucharist is being given out because I know the Eucharist is like one of the very last things to to give out at the end of the sermon so I know that I have five more minutes after Eucharist and I can leave and go home so um, it was just it was torture for one on a mental level on a gender level because I just constantly felt extremely uncomfortable and um, also the sexism is so real in most uh, organized religions.
0: Yeah, complementarianism versus egalitarianism, which I want to add, I've been saying that to a lot of people and they have no idea what I'm talking about and last season we did a lot of talking about Judaism and sex. So just in case I'm going to define what I mean by that for our listeners. Yeah. Complementarianism is the idea that men and women are different but equally important with different roles that complement each other. And this is where you get that I I think this is bullshit and this is where I get really frustrated because it sounds really cute in practice until you realize that it just enforces really unfortunate things. Like in Judaism, the example of complementarianism is women are closer to God, in fact, higher than men, which is why they don't need to go study Torah all day. This is why these women need to get jobs and take care of the children and make all the money for the house because the men have to religiously study Torah all day. You know, that's their job religiously. You know, like he's going to be the spiritual head of household and she's going to be the actual head of household because she's already there and who ends up doing, you know, all the actual labor. So And
1: how rearing and emotional labor and yeah. the actual like physical labor for a job and uh, monetary. So, I mean, this is obviously
0: a, like what I call the cult subset of Judaism, not the majority of Judaism. But uh, yes. Christianity, one example is how women are, are nuns, but can't necessarily be, I think, priests in the Catholic Church. Yeah. yeah. So like men are the priests and they get to lead the congregation. Women can only teach the children's class. That's it because, you know, that's their job. And the man is the head of the household and the spiritual leader. So the woman's job is to follow the man's lead and make sure the kids are being brought up. And so what happens when you have a woman who is potentially an excellent spiritual leader? Too bad, no room in in the church. What happens if you have a man who wants to take care of the kids? Too bad, you don't get to. That's not your role. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that's complementarianism versus egalitarianism, which is, you know, it's not about gender, that makes your yeah. that makes you more suited to something. It's just your qualities, your skill,
1: your skills, your yeah, your values, yeah, yeah.
0: And I think it's okay to acknowledge that women will self select certain interests, as you said. Overall, like a lot of girls do like Barbies, but not all girls like Barbies. And it's okay to be more egalitarian and ask before you buy a present
1: for someone. Yes, exactly. So, um, and that's actually one of the reasons why my parents, like I'm extremely fortunate to have parents who, um, once they realized that I was extremely uncomfortable with wearing dresses, they would get, they would just like get my older cousins, like hand-me-downs. Like I got like really cool parachute pants when I was like 12 and I thought it was like the coolest thing. Cause I was able to wear something that I knew was originally bought for a boy and I didn't have to wear like all these like frilly girly pink things with floral patterns and all this like like hosiery that made my skin itch like i'm also autistic so realistically like any kind of textural thing especially women's clothes all the the polyesters and stuff was just so uncomfortable everything about it was awful sensory uh color everything uh just just unpleasant in general but it was nice that my parents were finally able to see that, okay, there's things that she just really cannot handle. And these are things that make her happier. So they allowed me to explore other aspects of gender expression. But unfortunately for for, for boys who or at least like um, people who are assigned male at birth, if they wanted to do the opposite of me and wanted to wear more feminine clothes, do you think that they would have been socially acceptable to do that? No, because it is shameful to want to look like a woman to them. Yeah. So, uh, it is okay for a woman to want to be a man because men are powerful. Men have men have all the roles, and of course, women. Oh, a tomboy—you just want more power. You're just more boisterous. You're more adventurous. So um, there's there's sexism and, and uh, trans misogyny there. So um, yeah, there's there's just there's layers. I am layer.
0: I am meeting so many people on the spectrum who are non-binary or trans or mostly yeah. non-binary, and I find it so fascinating. Partially because you know it, rejection of rigid thought structures when you're you know raising. A kid with autism, Ice being autism nanny. So when you're raising yeah. a kid with autism, it's, you know, well, there's this very rigid way of thinking that like, you know, or like change is really hard. And I'm like, yes, but also there's this general rejection of you got to, why am I doing this? Right? Like yeah. explain to me as a child, why I need to do this, why this is important. And I like, it's so interesting that some of that also comes into, why are you expecting me to like this? I don't understand the reason. Gender is yeah. a societal construct that that is taught as much as any other so- social construct.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And I I actually noticed um, in a very similar vein, uh, relationships. Why does a relationship have to always look like this? When uh, that's not suited to everybody, why can't a a relationship look like this instead? And I've noticed that a lot of the people that I've met who uh, do like any kind of ethical non-monogamy, a lot of them are neurodivergent, and immediately, even as teenagers, when they were starting to go on their like dating adventures and learning how to be with other people. Um, neurodivergency is a really wonderful, um, wonderful thing that has allowed more people to explore ethical non-monogamy and how a relationship should be working for us an individual rather than, uh, having to injure the, um, what the, the atomic family with the nuclear know, like- family. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. sorry. Uh, I think there are atom bombs in my head. Basically, basically yeah, thing, no, so. I got, I got that connection instantly. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I I really think that there's a lot that the majority populations, whatever that is in any scenario, there's a lot you can learn from the non-majority, the the minority, if you will, like, because the questions that are brought up in society when you are forced to look at your structures that and go, well, is this actually serving us? Uh, Does this even serve the majority? Not always, not really. So why are
1: we pushing it on people so hard? Yeah. And that's how I felt about uh, the gender binary since I was a small child. Obviously, I didn't understand why I felt that way. There was no, there's no other people in my life, especially in a Catholic environment. Like I was, I was chastised constantly for not wanting to, you know, play fucking house and be
0: nobody. <laughs> be nobody house. wanted to play fucking house. I don't understand why people played house all the time. You mentioned also to me in the past that you have a partner who you've been with during the transition. How did they take it when you came out uh, as non-binary? I'm assuming you still have that partner now. What was that like in terms of changing the relationship dynamic?
1: So the relationship dynamic was always very equal. I mean, um, because I've been very independent, very outspoken, that's actually one of the the things that he uh, loved about me because he's also very outspoken and does a lot of advocacy for, um, you know, economically. um, Well, I mean, let's say he's an anarchist in a lot of ways. So he wanted to have a partner who also believed in very similar things, that um, people should you know, be questioning power structures that do not benefit anybody except for the top. So um, having somebody like myself, who's already very outspoken on a lot of issues, um, that was that was fine and easy, and it had very little to do with the gender role. He already knew before we started dating that I was queer, and that although that didn't really have a label at the time because I didn't have the vocabulary, There wasn't any major expectations, but because I always presented very femme and I'm quite happy presenting femme, I love makeup, love jewelry, I love like, like got fits for days. Love that shit. Um, but, uh, when I realized that a lot of my life, I was, I was being, I was forced to reject any kind of experimentation with my gender expression that I actually lost so many years of being able to try out other ways of existing, mostly out of fear of being rejected by peers or jobs or, you know, not being not being taken seriously and all the other things that trans people end up having to experience when they're out. So when um, over the course of lockdown, um, I had been talking to a lot of other people, I'd found a really good community of people who had been experiencing similar uh, feelings as me. And I realized that this is actually a really great time of my life. Uh, I'm only 32, uh, but I only just realized how many times I've actually stopped myself from trying to experience uh, a more masculine uh, appearance. And that's because of partners that I've had, um, jobs or just expectations put on me. Uh, So when I explained that I've never had any kind of if good connection with my chest. Like I do not like my breasts whatsoever. I'm actually very keen on eventually having a double mastectomy or a radical breast reduction uh, just because I don't want them. They cause me dysphoria. And um, when I was explaining that, it was almost an attack on the relationship. And it's only because of the structural um, health beliefs of I, my body is feminine and that is what he's attracted to. And it's very hard for him to believe in a, you know, having a, a romantic or sexual relationship with somebody who's not having those feminine appearances. Because then, how does that change his um, his attraction to me? How does that change his way of experiencing a sexual attraction in general? So it was a really big, um, a big blow to to him mentally because, like, he didn't know how to experience anything. Um, like that. He's never had any part of He's very, very heterosexual, very cis. And even, uh, for me, because I was always very feminine, um, there was no question about his, you know, attraction to me. But when that was like quote unquote threatened, um, it actually brought up a lot of, uh, really uncomfortable conversations. And, uh, for me, it also made me feel like there was a bit of rejection of, of myself, even though it wasn't necessarily his intention. It was difficult for both of us to be able to talk about those things um, because it meant that, what does our relationship look like down the road? What does our interactions with each other look like? Or, and will it end our relationship? Because um, although, yes, if I ever had, let's say, breast cancer and I had to get a mastectomy or double mastectomy, um, to him, that would feel like an imposition on me, that something happened to me and, oh, tragedy, I would still love you and I would support you. But because it's a choice of, of my own, then it's almost an attack on his attraction. So it was extremely difficult for him. And um, that was one of the things that made me question whether or not I can continue having a relationship with someone who really does depend on my femininity and my physical femininity in order to stay attracted to me. Um, I, I'm a a polyamorous person by nature. He's very monogamous. So I actually just went to monogamy to keep him happy and keep our relationship stronger because, uh, polyamory is not his lifestyle choice. He cannot, he cannot do that. He's tried it. It's not possible. Um, I'm also, uh, pansexual. So gender does not mean anything to me. I would say omnisexual panromantic, if we're going to be very specific, but, um, to him, extremely heterosexual. So, it also made him question what his orientation might look like if I do start transitioning, even if it's not a, a quote unquote full transition. Mm-hmm. So over yeah, that, you're, the-
0: you're forcing him to reevaluate his own identity. And that's a bigger question than just, do you want to fuck? It's what does this mean about me and who I am and my identity as a straight monogamous
1: man, sexual man? Yes, exactly. So, um, there was, there were a lot of things that I had already been foregoing in my own life with him. Like I'm a very kinky person. I've been that way forever and that's not him. So I've been allowing all these little aspects of myself to slide away in order for the relationship to stay as it was for him to be comfortable and to be happy and to, you know, just live life for himself. And I'm okay with certain things because I know that I can continue having a really wonderful, fulfilling relationship with him on a romantic and emotional level. But when it came down to my own gender expression and how I exist and how I present and how I walk through life, that is a whole different story. What might happen on like a sexual level? Yeah, I can, I can still get everything I need from, you know, very vanilla sex. Um, it's not as, as exciting or as fun for me as a very kinky person. However, that is something that's just between him and I. But my gender identity, that is how people perceive me. That's how my friends and my family perceive me. That is how I get to um, create the perception of myself and my being. And that is very outward. And that is my existence um, that I realized that I couldn't, I couldn't compromise on. Like that's, that's something that I am not willing to put aside just for the sake of his comfort. And uh, we had that conversation over and over and over again. And it was extremely difficult because then he realized that, um, or at least to him, the relationship wasn't as important as my gender expression. And I think that although that is a fair assumption to make from his perspective, uh, perspective, um, my gender identity is the way that I um, walk through life. And that is beyond a relationship. That's beyond, you know, um, most things. That's, that's also my happiness. That's my internal happiness, my authenticity. And also um, having to exist with dysphoria all the time. Like that, that is an internal struggle that if I can find a way to, to reduce or to eliminate, of course, I'm going to do that. But I'm not going to do that. Um, I'm not going to forego those things and that kind of happiness and mental stability. Uh, for a relationship, so that was it's, a very big decision to make.
0: It's that struggle that I think everyone has in a relationship. What matters more in this moment—the individual or the couple—and yes. this was one moment where the individual had to trump the couple. And yes. you know, and like my husband and I are very independent people, so sometimes we're in us, but we're still also an I in different moments yes. and navigating that boundary of when is it when is it I and when is it us?
1: Yes, exactly. So. So when um, it came down to it, I'm like, I'm probably going to be getting top surgery eventually. And I want to experiment with growing out body hair that I have been shaving since I was 12 for some reason, um, because of the expectations on women and women's bodies and things Mm -hmm. like that. and. That was uh, very scary for him. He's like, well, um, I would change something about myself if you asked me to. I'm like, but I'm not asking you to do those things. And I certainly am not going to be adhering my body to your own view of what um, my body should look like or should yeah. feel like. So um, there was a lot of things that were extremely difficult. And um, I that's when I realized that a relationship, like a, at least a romantic and sexual relationship with him was no longer possible after that. And um, I still very much love him and I want to support him. I want him to have a very good life. I want him to be happy. I want him to be successful in all of his endeavors. And he wants the same things for me. But we got to the point where it is, not, it is no longer possible for me to exist in the most authentic way for me, which would bring me a lot of happiness. And I cannot forego that type of happiness just to make someone else happy. Right um, and, and he needs
0: it sounds like what he's looking for in a partner is someone who is monogamous and vanilla and femme presenting all the time.
1: Yes, and so, now
0: you don't have to worry about, you know ignoring those other parts of yourself as well.
1: Yeah. and I found that um after I made the decision to no longer compromise uh, my gender expression for the relationship, I actually started seeing all of the other aspects of myself that I had been dimming or removing. Or compromising on for the sake of the relationship and for my partner. And I'm like, wow, okay. I was okay with life before, but now that I see all of these things that I had been hiding away, pushing away, uh, reducing or minimizing or completely like canceling from my life. Um, all of those things were aspects of not just my personal joys, but aspects of my personality and how I like to identify and how I exist in life and how I can communicate with other people, and how I can find other people like myself. So um, I really I found that after I had liberated myself and allowed myself the possibility of expressing myself in a different way, through that, I also was able to find that um, I could finally re I don't know the word. Sorry. Um, although I I I speak English most of the time, it's not my first language. I speak French first. But um, so in my in my mind, if I am I'm, I'm I'm putting back all of the things into my into my body, into my in my mind. So, yeah.
0: Um, and one of the nice things I've noticed about polyamory or polyamorous and ethical non monogamy is that like you you don't need to dim any aspects of your personality. You just find new partners to live them out with. Not new. Yeah. You have like different people that really it. help that part of your personality flourish and grow, and you nurture it. And you don't need to worry about oh well, I can't do this with this person, and I can't do it ever because there's all yeah. these other people that will love and appreciate that about you.
1: Yeah, and I don't, I don't have any fear of being alone. Like I, I like we actually still work together. So my partner or my my ex husband and I, we actually still live together we live in separate rooms at the moment and eventually i'm gonna have my own place but we opened up a tattoo studio together knowing that we had been very good business partners prior to us you know dating while we were dating while we were married we've been very great with um being able to compartmentalize that aspect of ourselves and our you know romantic life so uh knowing that we both really deserve great careers in our chosen field of tattooing piercing and body modification
0: Before we take a short break, why don't you tell us the name of the piercing tattoo studio that you just opened
1: up? Oh, yes. Thank you. So uh, we opened up in August and it's called Cursed Crown Tattoos. So uh, we do tattoos, piercings, but I also provide makeup services for people. Um, I had done a tattoo apprenticeship about 10, 11 years ago. Um, Stuart did his tattoo apprenticeship about seven or eight years ago in Canada and I've been wanting to be a tattoo artist since I was like 13. So 20 years in the making, and I finally have my own studio. So that's very nice. And uh, we opened in Portadown, which is where Sue's grandfather was born and raised. So it's kind of like a nice little family hub for him.
0: That's really cool.
1: So let's take a short break
0: and then we'll come back with our listener question. Hello, everybody. We really want to be able to devote our time to giving you entertaining and educational sex content. And we really don't want to have to run ads If you like what we do, help us pay our bills so we can keep doing it. Join us at patreon.com slash sexnewswithray. We have three options for the Patreon. You can officially join the Deviants Defining Elite for $3 US a month, and we'll shout you out on an episode. For $6.66 a month, become a fuck demon and get two bonus episodes every month on top of the shoutout. I'll be reading sex news fresh off the press. You can join me twice a month for that. For $18 a month, help us live the high life and we'll throw you some merchandise in exchange. To support the podcast, head to patreon.com slash Ray and sign up now. Welcome back. Uh, Today's listener question, why do we say cisgender when the majority of people aren't trans? Wouldn't we only need to use that word if we're only talking about trans people, but not the rest of the
1: time? I think that's a, a really great question, but, um, The reason why I find a lot of cisgender people are upset about us having a name for cisgender people is because they think they are default, that there is a default human being and that they are part of default. Same with heteronormativity. They think that heterosexuality is Default and everyone else is different or abnormal. So um, if they're upset about cisgender uh, being a term, uh, just just wait until they feel what it's like to uh, not actually be the majority. Uh, I actually once heard somebody coin the term global majority for people of color instead of, you know, the minority. Uh, So I I just think that it's funny because most people think that they are um, the default and they're not. So that's, that's it. We say
0: cisgender to remind people that their experience might not be the default experience. And some, you know, sometimes you need a word that defines a thing other than normal or default, because it's normal. What is normal? No one is normal. Everyone is normal. You know, normal isn't actually a really good descriptor word. If you mean the majority that changes from space to space and gets complicated, cisgender is just a word that refers to anyone who is not trans or non-binary. And you know, you might, you might not need to use that word when you're outside of certain settings. So don't, that's my opinion of it.
1: And you don't have to use that term uh, if you don't want to, but um, it's actually just a really great way of determining somebody's uh, gender identity because, hey, if you're cisgender, that just means that you never had to question your gender. You feel perfectly at home in the body that you were born in and you don't have to worry about uh, whether or not You want people to perceive you in a different way. Uh, So cisgender is just um, another word for what they believe is default.
0: I hope that answers the question. Severin, where can people contact or follow you?
1: Uh, So one of the best ways to contact me is on Instagram because although Instagram is probably more so uh, for the millennials now and not TikTok, I actually am on TikTok as well. I'm trying very hard. Uh, but yeah, if you find me on Instagram, it's severinstarger.uk and, um, I, I also do modeling from time to time and that's actually where I posted a lot of the more, um, cool alternative fetish work that I've done. But, um, I, I was only ever able to post the more Facebook-friendly versions of everything. So yeah, you can find that stuff on Instagram. I'm also on every other social media platform, but that's the, uh, that's the place that I'm on the most.
0: Thank you. You can join the Deviants to Finding a Leaf by subscribing to our Patreon and sending me money at patreon.com slash sexnewswithray. And of course, Sex News with Ray on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can submit a listener question through sharewithray.com slash podcast or email SexNewsWithRay@gmail.com at gmail.com or DM me. Yeah, Once again, my DMs are open. Don't be creepy. Follow me at wifebayray on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, and razorlatex on Instagram and OnlyFans. This podcast is engineered and produced by Dave Meisner and is hosted at sexnewswithray.podbean.com. The theme music is by Blink and Brilliant. Special thank you to Blue Microphones and photography for our logo is by Dolly Shots Photography. See you all next week. That is all.